Hello again. We are finishing up verse 2 of Psalm 23 in this, uh, in this podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening. I ask you to open your hearts, minds, souls, spirit, and body to the Word of God in this study. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again that we can study in this manner. I ask you to guide me in my teaching, that your Holy Spirit would be evident, Father, that it would not be any of me, but all of you in this teaching. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, second half of verse two. He leads me beside quiet waters. You know, sheep thrive in dry, semi-arid country, but they require water. And the key to where water can be found lies with the shepherd. He knows where the best drinking places are. In fact, very often he's the one with much effort and industry has provided the watering place. And that's where he leads the flock. But before we think about the water sources, we need to understand the role of water in the sheep's body and why it's so essential for its well-being. See, the body of a sheep is about 70% water on, on average. It's used to maintain normal body metabolism. It's a portion of every cell, contributing to its normal life functions. Water determines the vitality, strength, and vigor of the sheep. It's essential to its health and general well-being. If the supply of water for an animal drops off, bodily desiccation sets in. Dehydration of the tissues can result in serious damage. It can also mean that the animal becomes weak and impoverished. Now, any animal is made aware of the lack of water by, by being thirsty. And that indicates the need of the body to have its water supply replenished from a source outside itself. And just as the physical body has a capacity and need for water, Scripture points out to us clearly that the human personality, the human soul, has a capacity and need for the water of the Spirit of the eternal God. When sheep are thirsty, they get restless. They start out in search of water. If they're not led to good water supplies of pure, clean water, they often end up drinking from a polluted pothole where they pick up internal parasites or other germs like liver flukes or nematodes. And it's in precisely the same manner that Christ our Good Shepherd makes it clear that thirsty souls of men and women can only be satisfied when their capacity and thirst for spiritual life is fully quenched by drawing on himself. In Matthew 5, 6 he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Or satisfied. At the great feast in Jerusalem in John 7:37, he boldly declared, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now to drink in spiritual terminology simply means to take in or to accept or to believe. And what I'm saying is it implies that a person accepts and assimilates the very life of God in Christ to the point where it becomes a part of him. Now the difficulty in all of this is that men and women who are thirsty for God, who do have an inner sense of searching and seeking, who are in quest of that which will completely satisfy, are often unsure of where to look 
or what they're looking for. Their inner spiritual capacity for God and divine life is desiccated, and in their dilemma, they'll drink from any dirty pool to try and satisfy their thirst for fulfillment. St. Augustine summed it up very well when he wrote, O God, thou hast made us for yourself, and our souls are restless, searching till they find their rest in thee. You know, all the long and complex history of the religions on earth, pagan worship and human philosophy, human philosophy is bound up with this insatiable, insatiable thirst for God. Now David, when he composed Psalm 23, knew this. Looking at life from the standpoint of a sheep, he wrote, He leads me beside quiet water. In other words, he alone knows where the still, quiet, deep, clean, pure water is to be found that can satisfy sheep and keep them fit. Now, generally speaking, speaking, water for the sheep comes from three main sources. Dew on the grass, deep wells, and springs and streams. Now, you may not be aware that sheep can go for months on end, especially if the weather's not too hot, without actually drinking water. And that is if there's heavy dew on the grass each morning. You know, sheep rise just before dawn, and they, that's when they start to feed. Or if there's bright moonlight, they'll graze at night. The early hours is when the vegetation is drenched with the dew, and sheep can keep fit on the amount of water taken in as they eat when they graze just before and just after dawn. Dew is a clear, clean, pure source of water. And there isn't a better picture of still waters than the silver droplets of dew hanging heavy on leaves and grass at the break of day. And the Good Shepherd makes sure that his sheep can be out and grazing on this dew-drenched vegetation. If necessary, it, mean, it means he himself has to rise early to get out with his flock. In the Christian life, it is of more than passing significance to observe that those who are often the most serene, most confident, and able to cope with life's complexities are those who rise early each day to feed on God's Word. It is in the quiet early, early hours of the morning that they are led beside the quiet still waters where they ingest the very life of Christ for that day. And it's much more than a figure of speech. It's practical reality. If you read the biographies of the great men and women of God, it's repeatedly pointed out how the secret of success in their spiritual life is attributed to the quiet time of each morning. There, alone and still, waiting for their master's voice, one is led gently to the place where, as the old hymn puts it, the still dews of his spirit can be dropped into my life and soul. One comes away from those hours of meditation, reflection, and communion with Christ, refreshed in mind and spirit. The thirst is slaked, and the heart is quietly satisfied. Jesus loves to see us contented, quiet at rest, and relaxed. He delights to know that your soul and spirit have been refreshed and satisfied. But the irony of life and tragic truth for most Christians is that's simply not so. They often try instead to satisfy their thirst by pursuing almost every other sort of substitute. 
for their minds and for their intellect, they pursue knowledge, science, academic careers. They read vociferously, or they have offbeat companions. But they're always left dissatisfied. I've known some people who would be among the most learned and highly respected, you know, scientists. I've had uh, professors in this country. Yet there's often a strange yearning about them, an unsatisfied thirst, which all of their learning, all of their knowledge, all of their achievements don't satisfy. And to appease the craving of their souls and emotions, men and women will turn to the arts, They'll turn to culture, to music, to literary forms. They try to find fulfillment. fulfillment. And often, in fact, so very often, these are among the most jaded and dejected of people. It is significant that to many of them, life is a mockery. They have tried drinking deeply from the wells of the world, only to turn away unsatisfied and unquenched in their soul's thirst. There are those who, to quench this thirst in their parched lives, have attempted to find refreshment in all sorts of physical pursuit and activities. They try travel. They participate feverishly in sports. They attempt adventures of all sorts or indulge in social activities. They take up hobbies. They take up hobbies or engage in community effort. But when all is said and done and everything, you know, everything's been done, they find themselves facing the same haunting, hollow, empty, unfulfilled thirst within. The ancient prophet Jeremiah put it very bluntly when he declared in Jeremiah 2.13, My people have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. It's an accurate trail of broken lives, shattered hopes, barren souls that are dried up and parched and full of the dust of despair. It's a compelling picture. Among many young people, the recourse is to drugs, alcohol, or sexual adventure and a mad desire to satisfy their thirst. And that's classic proof that such indulgences are no substitute for the spirit of the living God. They're broken cisterns. Their lives are a misery. Their faces show the desperation they have within themselves. And in the middle of all this chaos of a confused, sick, sick society, Jesus Christ comes quietly, like he always does, and invites us to come to him, invites us to follow him, invites us to put our confidence in him. For he is the one who best knows how we can be satisfied. He knows that the human heart, the human personality, and our human soul, with its amazing capacity for God, can't ever be satisfied with a substitute. Only the spirit and life of Christ himself will satisfy the thirsting soul. Now, strange as it may appear on the surface, the deep wells of God from which we may drink are not always necessarily the delightful experiences that we may be imagining them to be. Many of the places God will lead us are going to appear to be dark, deep, dangerous, and somewhat disagreeable. But we have to remember that He is there with us in it. 
He is very much at work in any situation. It's his energy, effort, and strength that's expended on my half that even in those dark, deep places, I'm bound to eventually have a benefit for me. It is there you're going to discover he can, he's the only one who can really satisfy you. It's he who makes sense and purpose and meaning come out of situations which otherwise would be just a mockery to you. And then suddenly life starts to have significance. You discover that you are the object of a special care and attention. Dignity and direction come into the events of your life and you see them sorting themselves out into a definite pattern of usefulness. And all of that, all of this is refreshing, stimulating, it's even invigorating. Your thirst for reality and life is satisfied. You discover you have found that satisfaction in your master, Jesus Christ. Now, of course, there's always a percentage of people who are going to refuse to allow God to lead them. They insist on running their own lives, following the dictate of their own wills. They insist they can be masters of their own destinies, even if ultimately such destinies are destructive. They don't want to be directed by the Spirit of God. They don't want to be led by Him. They want to walk in their own ways and drink from any old source that they fancy might satisfy their whims. They remind me a lot of a bunch of sheep being led down to a magnificent mountain stream. The snow-fed waters are flowing pure and clean and crystal clean between beautiful banks of trees. But on the way, several stubborn ewes and their lambs stop to drink from small, dirty, muddy pools that are next to the trail. The water is filthy, polluted, not only with the churned-up mud from all the passing sheep, but also with manure and urine of previous flocks that have passed that way. And still, these stubborn sheep are quite sure it's the best drink that they can get. The water itself is filthy and unfit for them, and it's obviously contaminated, and it's eventually going to riddle them with internal parasites and diseases of destructive impact. People often try this pursuit or that pursuit with a casual comment, you know, so what? I can't say it's going to do any harm. They just don't appreciate that often there's a delayed reaction and that there may be a lot of time elapsed before the full impact of their misjudgment strikes home. Then all of a sudden they're in deep trouble and they look at it and they wonder why they're in such such an amount of trouble. To offset those dangers and guard against them, God invites us to allow ourselves to be led and guided by his own spirit. Much of the emphasis and teaching of Paul's epistles in the New Testament is that the child of God should not end up in difficulty. If you'll read Galatians 5 and Romans chapter 8, it brings this out very clearly. Jesus' own teaching to his 12 disciples just before his death is given to us in John 14 through 17 points out that the Holy Spirit was to be given to lead us into truth. He would come as a guide and counselor. Always he would lead us into the things of Christ. 
He would make us see that the life of Christ is the only truly satisfying life. We would discover the delight of having our souls satisfied with his presence. It would be he who would become to us the very meat and drink. And at his resurrection, overcoming life was imparted to me by his spirit each day. I would be refreshed and satisfied. And that's long and short of being led beside still waters. Christ wants to do that for you if you just let him. And I'm going to leave you with that. Because anything more I would say would just be repetitious. Next time we're going to jump into verse 3. And we'll see what we can discover in verse 3. It's going to continue to help us understand that the Lord is my shepherd. Again, thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your support. I ask you to pray for me as I pray for you. And Father, we thank you that we've had this time together to learn your word. I ask you to continue helping your people learn more about you, Father. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.